<laughs> oh, man, we've had a great couple of days together. Can you believe it? It's only been 24 hours or so. Wow. I wrote a little paragraph for each of the sessions, and here's what I wrote for this one. It's in your booklet, but fatherlessness is epidemic in our American society now. Millions of homes with absentee men. Millions of school kids without honorable men in their lives. Millions of young women unable to find a man who will love them honorably, respect them, and help them be a God-honoring woman raising children who will make a contribution to society. Do you agree with that? Jesus challenged four normal businessmen, three of them single at the time, to follow me, and it changed their lives forever. They, in turn, changed the lives of thousands of others. We're going to look at four powerful things that they learned as they walked in lockstep with Jesus, which can make a difference for every man, married or single, of any age today. So we're going to look at four men one radical invitation, and four keys to success. And again, just a little bit from this book, The Barbarian Way, that I read to you this morning, Erwin um, Raphael McManus. Somewhere along the way, the movement of Jesus Christ became civilized Christianity. We created a religion using the name of Jesus Christ, and we convinced ourselves that God's optimal desire for our lives was to insulate us in a spiritual bubble where we risk nothing, sacrifice nothing, lose nothing, and worry about nothing. Yet Jesus' death was not to free us from dying, but to free us from the fear of death. Jesus came to liberate us so that we could die up front and then live. So I wonder how many of us have lost our barbarian way and we have become embittered with God, confused in our faith because God didn't come through the way we thought he should. Is it possible that the transforming power of the church has been lost because we keep inviting people to step into a nice, comfortable, safe security with Jesus? We've created a religious culture in which even though we're the most blessed society in the history of our planet, our best-selling literature still focuses on how we can be more blessed Maybe we need to step back to the beginning of this movement. The original call of Jesus was simple. Follow me. He wants us to surrender our lives to him and follow him into the unknown, the adventure. As if it means a life of suffering, hardship, disappointment, but if it does, it'll be worth it all because following Jesus is more powerful and more fulfilling than, live, than living with everything in this world minus him. Rather than living a long life, are you willing to live a life worth living? Hmm. So I'm taking a walk today and I see something that I say, I got to take a picture of that. So I got a picture for you again. What do you think it means? Here's what it means for me. Uh, my life is probably going to change here within a few days as my brother, barring a miracle, goes home to glory. 
But there's also some things going on in my wife and my life that very likely is going to make a change, maybe even take us out of the state of Florida. And we don't have time to talk about that. But I've come to you this weekend with all kinds of balls in the air like this. And so as I'm walking down the road this afternoon, getting some fresh air, it was as though God spoke out of the woods. Doug, that's you. Get ready. There's a bend in the road coming. Now, have you ever had that experience? And as you anticipated that God was saying, get ready, there's a bend in the road coming, what happened inside of you? No, God, I, I, I like my house. I like my job. I like my friends. I like my church. My, my, my wife loves it here. Or, hmm, God, if you can hold the whole universe together, and if you can keep track of seven and a half billion people all at the same time, and if you can make each of us unique one from the other, and if you really do have this great sovereign plan and purpose that you're working and you're asking me to get involved with you, I'm in. Even if there's a bend in the road and I can't see around the bend. That's where we're going tonight. So I got a song for us to listen to. It won't be quite like the last song, but it'll help you reflect a little bit. I think I have a song. Do I have a song? Maybe not. Okay, well. Okay, God says no song. No problem. You see, that's the bend in the road. We'll do with no song. It's okay, fellas. Don't worry about it. Okay, so the story is found in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is walking along the beach, the Sea of Galilee. Let's stop right there for a minute. And if somebody, if you had been there and somebody said, who is that? It's Jesus. Who's Jesus? Knowing what you know now, how would you respond to that, converse, that question? Now here's what I want to do. This is a safe place, right? So one after another, I'd like you to stand up and boldly proclaim, I believe Jesus is, and fill in the blank. Come on, one right after another. Who's Jesus? Stand up and say it. The Messiah. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Is that what you said? The Christ, the Son of the living God, and my Lord and Savior. Amen, brother. The King of all kings. Amen. Is that all? The first one I would give my life for. Oh, my. Amen, brother. Wow, come on, who's Jesus? Lord of Lords, Christ the Lord. He is the lion and the lamb. Hey, well done, my brother. He is the light. The light, good. The light. Way and truth. Thank you. Alpha and Omega. Thank you. He is the word. Thank you. The good shepherd. Thank you. The only way to the Father. Oh, well done, brother. Life Redeemer. Thank you. The beginning and the end. Amen. Would you agree? Yes, sir. Oh, amen. 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 Well done, brother. Would you agree that Jesus is God who came here and put on human flesh, became a human being? And he came here for the purpose of explaining God to us. Telling us about God and who he is. Telling us how he sees us. Telling us that all that he has done and explaining we have a problem with God and our problem is sin and we can't fix it 
but he came here to fix the problem. The unthinkable way that he would give his life in full payment for our sin, and as he did it on the cross, the Father would place on him all of his wrath that we deserved for our sin. Would you agree with that? And as he's dying on the cross, the human race is saying, God, get out. We'll kill you if we can. And Satan is saying, I am the victor. And Jesus says, nobody kills me. I will give my life as I accept the wrath of God to pay for the sins of humanity, and I will rise up from the dead to be the victorious Savior. Amen? Amen. So that Jesus is walking down the beach. And he comes across two guys that he has met before, Andrew and Simon, as Mark refers to him. And they're working on their nets because they're fishermen. Yo, hey guys, how you doing? Okay. In that lake, they usually fish at night. How was the catch? Are you tired of this yet? Tired of what? Fishing. I want to challenge you with a radical thought. What? Leave the nets. Come with me. I'm going to change you from being fishers of fish to fishers of men. What? You've heard me speak. You've seen some of the miracles. Come on. Your life can be much more significant than spending your nights throwing nets in the water. Come on. Now that's my paraphrase of what Mark did in about one line. So Mark says they left the nets and they walked down the beach and he comes and two other guys, James and John, brothers, just like Simon and Andrew are brothers. James and John, how you doing? Okay. How was the catch? You ready to join us? Leave the nets. Other people can fish. Your lives have more significance than that. Make a difference. Follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Mark says they left their nets. As they're walking along, I'm suspecting that one of them or two of them are saying, so Jesus, what does this mean? Fisher of men. I don't understand that. Well, here. You fish for fish with deception. That's why you fish at night. You don't think they can see the nets. In a few centuries, people are going to have hooks and they're going to put bait on the hooks and try to fool the fish. (laughs) That's not how you fish for men. You fish for men with truth and with honesty. You fish for fish for the purpose of gathering in a, a, a good catch and you take it and you sell and you fill your pockets. It's all about you. Or you take them home and you cook them. That's not what you do with men. You fish for men to serve them and to help them because they're already in bondage and they don't know it. You fish for fish to capture them. You fish for men to free them. And I can hear them saying, can't you? I I don't understand. It's okay. That's why you're going to follow me and I'm going to teach you. And Mark says they went to Capernaum. As you know, there were two or three cities right on the shoreline, Tiberias, which is still there today, and Capernaum. And the ruins are there. And I've been there. Maybe some of you have. And Mark says, they went into the synagogue. So the next day must have been the Sabbath, and they went to the synagogue together. And as you know, if you understand the Jewish background or the way the synagogue works, if there's a visitor in the synagogue who somebody knows and somebody believes to be reputable, they'll ask him, would you like to read the Torah scroll today? And as you may know, every synagogue in the world reads the same Torah scroll reading every Sabbath. So they're all reading the same thing. So it was given to Jesus, and he read the the, the Sabbath scroll. 
And then he started to talk about it. And Mark tells us that the people were amazed because the way he talked was not like any other rabbi talked. He talked with authority. Thank you, brother. And he talked the truth. You see, he was teaching the men. If you're going to move from fishing for fish to fishing for men, you do so with authority and with truth. All of a sudden, a guy stands up. I know who you are. Jesus, the Holy One of Israel. Jesus says, be quiet, sit down. And everybody's got big eyes as big as donuts. They didn't have donuts then, but big, big as donuts. <laughs> What's happening here? The man was demon-possessed. You understand demons, right? Evil spirits. And Jesus cast out the demon and set the man free. Lesson number two. <laughs> the power of Jesus has authority over the demonic world and the power of truth, God's truth. Do you remember when Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit and he battled with Satan for 40 days? What was it that Jesus did to defeat Satan each of the three times that they got into a verbal debate? Say it again. Quoted the word of God. He didn't hit him. He didn't argue with him. He just said, thus says the word. The demonic world must submit to the authority of the word of God. Do you understand that? Here's why that's important. The demonic world is just as active in your town and mine now as it was in Capernaum then. Now, I grew up in Haiti. I've told you that. The voodoo capital of the world. So I grew up listening to the voodoo drums at night. I know all about the witch doctor world. And when I was a little boy there, most of Haiti couldn't read or write. And so the missionaries, even if you brought a thousand Bibles into town, it didn't matter. Nobody could read them. They wanted to know, is your Jesus more powerful than the Satan who controls our, our community? When I went back as a missionary, while more people could read, that was still the question. Is your Jesus more powerful than the demons that have control in our town? How would you answer that question if somebody asked you that about your town? And then the question, prove it. What would you do with that? I didn't know what to do with that. So I went to a Haitian pastor friend who was older and wiser than me and says, how do I prove it? I, nobody's ever asked me that question before. He said, well, stay healthy. What? The witch doctors that live around here are going to be putting curses on you and your wife and your daughter. You'll probably come out of your house one of these days and there will be a little calabas bowl there and in there will be all kinds of strange looking things. It's been placed there by a witch doctor and everybody's watching. How soon will it take for you to get sick and die? Because they reign supreme around here. Stay healthy. So every day we prayed, God keep us healthy. And sure enough, there it was. So I went back to him. I said, it's there. What do I do with it? Take it in a public place and burn it so that everybody can see it. So I did. And then start telling people about the power of Jesus who's keeping you healthy even though the curse was put on you and your family. And we did. And it didn't take very long and people started coming to us and saying, we've lived under the fear of Satan and the demonic world. We know what they can do. But clearly, there's a power in you that we don't know. Will you help us? Will you help us know this Jesus that you know? Yes. And as people started taking out of their little huts their fetishes and things and burning them and trusting Jesus to be their savior, the power of Satan was broken in community after community. You see, what was happening here was Jesus saying, you fish for fish in the middle of the night. 
all by yourselves out there in a nice quiet. I'm asking you to get in the game, helping to deliver people who are living in the bondage of the dark kingdom. And you do it with truth, God's truth. And you do it with authority, the authority of the name of the risen Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And you and I have the authority to speak to the dark kingdom if you find yourself confronted with the dark kingdom. In the name of Jesus, I command you. You have that right. If you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Am I right? You understand that? That's powerful. So these four guys walk out of the synagogue saying, wow, what did we just see? And is he saying that we can do that? That that we have the authority to use his word against the dark kingdom? Is that what he's saying? Yes. You remember what the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6? We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and the powers of this dark world. Is that just Hollywood stuff, or is that real? That is real. Now, one of the things that the dark kingdom is using in Hollywood is making it look really interesting, fascinating, tantalizing. So we've got a couple of generations growing up behind us that are fascinated by spooky stuff, like Ouija boards and other things. The devil is not stupid. He is a great strategist. He looks for ways to attract our attention. (laughs) Be careful. But if you know Jesus, and if you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can stand strong against the dark kingdom. So they leave the synagogue, and Peter uh, says, why don't you come to my house? So they do, expecting they're going to have a meal, and they get there, and his mother-in-law, evidently he was married, according to Mark, his mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, remember? So they ordered pizza. No. (laughs) What happened, remember? Simon said, would you come in and see my mother-in-law? She's in bed with a fever. Oh, yes. And he did. He took her by the hand, and he raised her up, and she served them. Lesson number two. Compassion. Compassion for the needs of people will go much farther than debate. (laughs) Do you agree with that? Does your church participate in Operation Christmas Child, those shoe boxes you know that you send all over the world? (laughs) Are you impressed with the way Samaritan's Purse responds to hurricanes and tornadoes and disasters? Is your church in your community known as a caring, compassionate group of people? I've had the privilege of serving three churches as senior pastor in New Jersey, that wonderful place called Fargo, North Dakota. It really is a remarkable place. I saw somebody with an NDSU shirt on. Go Bison. Wow. And then Williams Bay, Wisconsin. And at each place, my brothers, here's a question that I've asked the elders after I've been there a little while. If a tornado came through this town and wiped out this building, wiped it out so the church building was not there, how long would it take, not for the people of the church to say, we need to rebuild, how long would it take for the people of the community who are not a part of the church to say, You guys need to rebuild. We need you in our town. Or would it be a long time and they'd say, you know, why don't we put a bowling alley in that corner? Or a theater? Or a bar? Or a strip club? 
we haven't noticed anything changed in our town and that church has been gone five years. Let's be honest. How profoundly is your community impacted because you and your church are there? I'm a part of a church in Leesburg, Florida that is, as far as I know, unique in the country. About 30 years ago, the senior pastor who's now retired had this remarkable burden for the fact that, believe it or not, partially because of the weather and other things, the homeless population in the greater Leesburg area was large and growing. We need to do something about this, he says. So they started a benevolent center that started distributing, distributing food. They went to the Walmart and the Winn-Dixie and the Publix and all the other places. If we come every morning, will you share some of your food with us? It, maybe it's the day-old stuff, but stuff that maybe you don't feel right. We've got a lot of homeless people we'd like to serve. They built a kitchen in this building so that every night they'd have a nice meal. They serve over 150 people every single night at 5 o'clock. No charge. Then they noticed, wow, we got a serious drug problem and alcohol problem in this town. We need a men's center and a women's center, resident, so that they can live there. And every day, all day, we'll pour the word of God into them. They'll study the word of God. We'll get counselors. We'll get job training so that when they graduate out of here after six or nine months, they'll be hopefully free and sober. They'll know Jesus. They'll be discipled, and they'll have a skill that they can get a job. Then they noticed, we've got a serious abortion problem in this town. We need a, 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 a pregnancy center, counseling center. Then they said, you know what? We've got a lot of people in this town who are either underinsured or they have no medical insurance. I wonder if we could find a number of Christian nurses and doctors who'd be willing to give a portion of their day off free of charge. And they went to the regional medical center. Would you help us build a building? If you'll take care of the uninsured and the non-insured, we'll build a building for you. And they did. We've got 19 acres, and 12 of those 19 acres is all of these ministries I've just described to you. The Benevolent Center, the food pantry, gave away last year 1.2 million pounds of food. Then they built a thrift store because there's this thing called the Villages, if you ever heard about it in Florida, 125,000 people, upscale, and they're always changing their furniture and their appliances, and so they give them, and they're cleaned up, and they're sold at a fraction of their value. They can sell $10,000 a day worth of stuff, and that money goes to feed the homeless and to care for them. There's an example of one church that has decided we are going to make so much difference in this town that if a tornado came through here, it would take five minutes for this town to say, we're desperate, hurry up and build. Now, of course, the purpose of all of that is to draw people to Jesus, and it's happening all the time. And then in the middle of that, oh, there's a K-12 through school with 450 kids because Leesburg has about the worst schools in the whole state of Florida, and then there's a church. So what difference is your church making in your community, really? Or is it a building where good people come and they sing and they listen to a good pastor and they go home, and if the building burned down, Nobody would notice any difference. That's what Jesus was showing these guys. If you're going to be fishers of men, you make a difference. Mark tells us that after they finished their meal, they started hearing a clamor outside, and somebody went to the door and said, Jesus, there's a whole bunch of people out there. And Jesus went out, and it says, until late in the night he was healing people and casting out the demons. The whole town had gathered, Mark said. What was he teaching them? Needs bring people to Jesus. 
That's why the church in the whole world is slowest growing in Western Europe and North America. Because Western Europe and North America tend to be the places that say, you see that Lexus in the driveway? I put it there. You see this 4,000 square foot house? I built that. God, I don't need you. I've done it all myself. Would you agree with that? But you go to China or India or Africa, God, I'm desperate. Help me. Needs bring people to Jesus. So Jesus was teaching them, fellas, if you're going to follow me, and if you're going to be a fisher of men, you've got to keep your antennas up all the time. What are the needs? You've got to learn to listen well because it won't take very long. And as you're having conversation, any conversation, people will start talking about the pain in their life. Their marriage isn't working. Their kids are on drugs. And on and on and on. Needs bring people to Jesus. Till late in the night, he's out there caring for the needs. And they're with him and they're watching. They're asking themselves the question, do I care about the needs all around me? And will I respond to the needs or will I plug up my ears so I don't hear it? And put blinders on my eyes so I don't see it? That's the barbarian way. Then Mark tells us that early in the morning, Simon got up and looked around and Jesus wasn't there. Everybody else was there, but not Jesus. He walked all through the house. And Mark says he went out in the dark and he found Jesus in a solitary place. What was he doing? Why? You're right, he was praying. Why? Have you thought about why he went out early that particular morning, having experienced what I just described to you the day before? Say it again. Thank you, brother. It was vitally important that Jesus, every single day, was in lockstep with the Father. Watch this. Jesus has taught me a lesson. There's two extremely dangerous things with people. And because all of us have a little bit of the people pleaser thing in us. One of the most dangerous things is this. Attaboys. Well done. Keep doing it. And because we respond to applause, if we're not careful, we can veer off the path of what God wants us to be doing. And we're responding to the affirmation and the applause of people. Would you agree with that? So Jesus is out there saying, Father, I know the people are delighted. They saw me cast out a demon. I healed a whole bunch of people. Probably there's going to be a few more today. What should I do? The other word, starts with an A, is the word appeal. If you've never noticed, all around you there are people who would love to tell you how they think you ought to live your life. So on the one, there's applause. Well done, keep doing it. On the other is, you know, I think you ought to. That's why Jesus was out early in the morning. Father, I live my life for an audience of one, you. What's the plan for today? So Simon comes out. Jesus, what are you doing out here in the dark? I'm talking to the Father. Why? A whole bunch of people have already gathered. Word spread last night all around town and to the next town. The whole courtyard is full of people. We got work to do. No, you got work to do. (laughs) That's why I'm out here talking to the Father. 
But Jesus, you just taught us yesterday that needs bring people to Jesus. So there's more people with needs. Let's get to work. And Jesus responded something that has transformed my life and one of the most powerful things in the Bible. I've heard from the Father. We're going elsewhere to other villages so I can preach there also for that is why I have come. Jesus was teaching them, live missionally. Live with purpose. But let the Father define the purpose. Because all around you will be all kinds of people telling you their opinion about how you should live your life. (laughs) How you should use your talents and your abilities and your resources and your time. But live for an audience of one and be able to distinguish his voice from everybody else, including your kids and your spouse. Now, by God's design, who's the leader of the family? Point at yourself. Me, us, you're right. Not a dictator, but we lead our families. We take their hands and we say, come on, let's go. We're going this way. Why, Dad? Because God says we're going this way and we're following Jesus together. And now let me tell you, son or daughter, how do I know that? How did I discern that Jesus is leading it this way and not that way or that way? You see, Jesus was saying to them, fellas, you fish for men much differently than you fish for fish. But as you're living a life on purpose, you're making sure that the Father is giving you the direction of purpose. Because you will always have many options before you. And as you get married and have children or have others who want to be impacted by your life so that you're leading others, you have to be able to say to them, this way, because I'm following Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So let's review just a minute. First key to success God's truth and its authority and power in our practical world. And the longer it stays closed on your nightstand, it's not getting in here or in here. When I lived in Fargo, North Dakota, by now you figured out I'm kind of a college football fan. North Dakota State University has an indoor dome, the Fargo Dome, that seats 19,000 people. There would be about 4,000 people at their home games. You could buy a general admission ticket and sit on the 50-yard line. It didn't take long for that to change. A guy by the name of Coach Craig Bowl came to town. He showed up at our church a couple times. They were winning a lot. He was getting pretty popular, so he'd come in late, kind of sit off to the side and leave early. He called me one day. Can I come see you? Sure, coach. Can I close the door? Yep. Can it stay confidential, at least for right now? I'm obviously telling you the story many years later. Sure. You know much about college football, he says to me? A little bit. You ever heard of the Nebraska Cornhuskers? Yes, sir. You ever heard of Tom Osborne? Yes, sir. He says, I was an assistant with Tom Osborne. He said, it was great to coach with a coach of that caliber. But I was also a guy who liked the nightlife and the bar scene. 
and the ladies like me. Oh, and I was married. And one day, Osborne calls me in. He says, sit down, Bull. You're a fairly good coach, and I like having you on my assistance team, but you're not going to coach for me much longer unless you straighten out your personal life. What do you mean, coach? This isn't about winning football games and even national championships. We got almost 100 young men, many of whom come from fatherless homes. We're training these young men to be good husbands, good dads, honorable business owners, honorable employees, and if some of them get into the NFL, honorable football players and model uh, mentors for others. What? I, I thought this was about football. It, it is. Football brings them here. And we're going to train them to be great football players, but we're also training them to be good men. He says to me, Osborne reached across the corner of his desk. I'd never noticed it before, and he picked up a Bible. I said to him, what's that? He says, this is the answer to your life. You've got three days to figure out what you're going to do with your life. Take this home. Three days from now, if you won't change, you're out of here. He said, I went home, and I stood in front of the mirror, and I thought, who is that guy think he is talking to me like that? And I thought, he's won the national championship. Maybe I got a couple things I could learn from him. So I went back in. I said, okay, coach, help me. I will. Let me introduce you to Jesus. He said, he led me to Jesus. And he said, I've been trying the best I know how. He said, sadly, I lost that marriage. I'm single. We're starting to win games. The ladies are clamoring all around me. The bars are trying to offer me all kinds of free stuff to come and hang out in their bar. He looks right at me. He says, will you be my coach Osborne? I need somebody to help me because I got a whole squad of football players that I want to do like Osborne did. We had a pretty special relationship for the years that we were there. And if you follow college football at all, they are now the five-time consecutive national champion at their level in college football. They're D1. He's gone on to coach at Wyoming. I tell you that story, my brothers, because... In the real practical stuff of life, that's where God-honoring men make a difference. And we make a difference by being men of truth and men who can handle the truth with authority in a world that is going to hell in a handbasket, if I can say it that way. You know what I mean by that. We are courageous, strong men who have compassionate hearts and we see the needs around us and we respond to those needs tenderly, starting in our own family. We are men who recognize that we listen well and we watch because it's the needs that bring people to Jesus. When they find a need, a health need, a financial need, a relational need, an addiction need, then their hearts are ready and open to hear about Jesus who can help them. And we are men, no matter how successful you might be, who make sure that you're living your life for an audience of one. And you're disciplining yourself to take time to meet with the king every single day with one question. What's the plan for today, Father? Because I want to make sure I live this day in lockstep with you and leading my family. So that when it's all said and done, if you and I can pass those five things on to our kids as they grow up and become adults, truth and its authority, compassion, alertness to the needs around us, time with the Father, and living missionally on 
purpose, now we make a difference in our world. Would you agree with that? Now let's see if they've figured out that song. Have you guys figured out that song? The picture with me for a minute. My guess is if every one of us came back to this room one year from tonight and we started writing down on a piece of paper like PD's have us been writing over there, all the changes that have happened in our life from tonight to one year from now. Can you imagine? I wonder for how many of us is God saying this weekend, get ready, because if you'll follow me, the road is about to take a bend. And I can understand because you can't see where it's going, but look at the colors of the trees and recognize that they're a picture of the sovereignty and the power of God controlling the movement of the planets that actually changes the colors of the leaves. You can trust me with what's around the corner. And if change comes to you, my friends, in the next week or month or six months, you lose your job, a major health issue, something tragic or something wonderful unexpected you get that job offer that you can't believe but it's halfway across the country and you gather your family around you are you going to say look at the raise that were just offered to me or look at the perks and the bennies or are you going to say I think Jesus Sovereign of the universe is asking us to take a faith step with him and move. And is your family going to respond, Dad, husband, what have you been drinking? Have you lost your mind? Look at our family lifestyle here. Are they going to say, like we saw last night, you're a man of God and you speak the words of God. We're with you, Dad. Let's talk to him right now. Almighty God, do you have some changes planned for us? Are you looking, as it tells us in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him? Are you looking for men, O oh God, right now that you can use to make a significant difference in our world. But it's going to require change, a step of faith. Are you looking for men who are growing and building their marriage relationships so their wives are with them and trust them and are also seeking the face of God so they're willing to make those kinds of changes? Are you looking for men who are mentoring their sons and their daughters? and teaching them how to know the leading and the guidance of God. Are you looking for men who've been so busy spending every waking hour fishing for fish, but you'd like to train them to be fishers of men? And that doesn't mean being a missionary or a pastor. It means living life according to the truth of God and in the authority of God. It means living life with a compassionate, tender heart to the people around. It means listening and seeing and recognizing the needs that you would like to use us to meet in our communities. 
It means having the discipline of seeking the face of God every single day. God, help me to make sure I'm in lockstep with Jesus. It means hearing from God a direction in life and living my life on purpose. God, we want to be those kind of men, but it's scary. It's frightening. So as we sing this last song together, God, I'm asking that you'd speak powerfully into our lives. And then this last night that we have in this remarkable place, Jesus, I'm asking that you would grab a hold of each of us and have a powerful conversation with us about where are we in this journey with you. We open up our lives to you, oh God. We want to be those kinds of men. And so we lift our voices to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.